shopping and my wife wanted some clothing at a particular store. And we went in, she got what she wanted, and she was the millionth customer. <laughs> so she got a thousand pounds. Wow. I'm going to hang around with you guys quite a lot um, because... And all, 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 the, <laughs> all the children benefited from it. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, so, um, so that's another surprise. You weren't expecting it. You just stumbled on it, as it were. Yeah, anybody um, over here, perhaps, who's done something that's been really hard work and got something? Any, oh, okay, Lorna, thank you. So about 10 years ago, Chris and I rescued a scout group from oblivion from oh, yeah. um, less than 10 members to over 100 today. And it's been really, really hard work. It's been yeah. fantastically worth it to see yeah. the young people grow up and develop. So what kind of things have it, has it cost you? What's been the cost for you? Time. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of cash, no doubt? No, no because, oh, the, yeah. because, because we have access to funds for oh, things like that. Yeah. So it's all, it's all time. It's but, time and effort. But time's amazing. And also effort. And also... In those kind of things, you, you suffer setbacks, don't you? And disappointments and things like that. Well, that's amazing. So, um, no doubt you realise that there's somebody in the Bible who had some similar experiences. So I'd like you to turn to them. Uh, if we could have the slides up now, actually. The plunging things. We're looking at plunging, plunging in. Now, um, I'm a geography teacher. I was a geography teacher, not an English teacher. I'm not convinced I spelt the word plunging right. So... I have, right? Because it looks like plunging to me. And, um, but plunging in, all right? Fully committing yourself. Um, feet first, no going back. The cost can be great, but the rewards are greater. Oh, I've got the clicker here, haven't I? That's right, so. Here is the passage. Now, last week, Phil was talking, um, Phil Della was talking about the... Uh, parable of the weeds and the tares, where the weeds were, growing, weeds were growing up amongst the good corn. And this is on the following parable, and Jesus is trying to talk privately to his disciples and describe or give some indication about what the kingdom of God is all about. And he keeps using these parables, these pictures. And so here we've got this one. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So there's a little bit of two things going on here. He's got, you've got that one moment of just stumbling on something, the millionth visitor, for example, just walking through a field. We don't know what he's doing in the field. It's not important why he was in the field and what he's doing. If you look on the internet, people spend a lot of time trying to work out why he was in the field and whether he should be in the field or not. It's really not that important. The point was he stumbled on a treasure, and it was on land that didn't belong to him. So now he's got a problem. There's something amazingly valuable, more than he could imagine, but it doesn't belong to him. And under Jewish law at the time, if you bought land, anything in that land belonged to you. Uh, but it was also a common practice to bury your goods. If you had you know, any kind of money, you know, the banks weren't very reliable. You wouldn't want to lend it to the tax collector, would you? Um, so... The best thing to do would be to dig it in a, bury it in the soil or somewhere in a field. So this, is, this story would be for the people listening to, yeah, yeah, I know this, this is a great story. This is something I've always wanted to do, is find treasure. And uh, we still want to find treasure now. Now the treasure must have been quite valuable. Or he was very poor. Because his response was to go off then and sell everything he had and buy the field. And once he owned the field, then... 
the treasure was his. And he possessed the treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. So this guy knows what he's looking for. He's searching for something. He's already on the search. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and he bought it. So these two guys have got something in common. One is not searching. He's just ambling through life. The other one is searching, but the things they've got in common is they found something of great value. In fact, it's such high value, it's worth more than all they've got. It's worth everything they have. The cost was great to them, but the reward was greater still. None of them have been foolish. They haven't thrown their money away. Even the guys bought the pearl has got a pearl of great value. And uh, in the, sort of, around that period of time, pearls were associated with purity and righteousness. And there's stories about um, uh, a, Jewish, a Jewish fisherman, who, um, uh, a Jewish man who, instead of um, catching a fish on a Sabbath, he went and bought a fish on the Sabbath, even though it's really expensive, but because he didn't want to break the rules of the Sabbath, he, he'd rather pay for one. Uh, but when he opened up the fish, inside was a pearl. And so it was like a, a reward for his for him trying to keep the Torah. So pearls and stuff are associated with righteousness and, and goodness. So this man's not just looking for fine pearls. The listener will be thinking, this guy's looking for righteousness. And uh, it was worth everything he had. And once he got it, he still had it. So if he wanted to sell it again, he still had it. The same with the guy with the treasure in the field. He had bought an asset that was probably worth more than he'd, he'd paid for. So they weren't foolish. They counted the cost... They found that the cost was worth it, and they went in with both feet. They plunged in with both feet. Um, there's different ways you can interpret this uh, text. I'm not, I'm not for the sake of time. I'm not going to go through the different ways in which you can interpret the text. Um, so if you've got a different point of view, then um, just bear with me. But <clears throat> this story happened not very long ago, in the 1920s. There was a man in a field. Actually, he was in New Mexico, and he was hunting deer. And he, um, oh, sorry, I've got the click on my, okay. He was hunting deer on this mountain, and it started raining. He went into this cave to find uh, some shelter, discovered a, a, a tunnel in this cave, a shaft. He went down the shaft and found millions, possibly billions of um, pounds of, of gold. Loads and loads of gold nuggets, loads of jewellery, loads of stuff from the 17th century. Uh, and so he, he sneaked up out, told his wife. Um, they went off, they sold everything they had, and they bought the mountain. And the mineral rights for the mountain, all that kind of stuff. His big problem was, the, um, it was not very long after the Wall Street crash, and ownership of uh, gold bullion was illegal. So he had all this gold, but it was illegal to own this gold. Um, so he buried it all over his field. Um, in the meantime, he'd fallen out with his wife uh, about it. Uh, and he then went back to, the, back to the cave to try and get more gold out, uh, tried to make, it, uh, make the cave more, um, the, the entrance bigger with some explosives, and ended up blocking the entire cave. At which point, he then fell out with another business partner and was murdered by the business par partner. 
And so all over this land, apparently, are bars of gold buried. Uh, shortly after that, before his wife could get access to the, to the field, to the hill, um, the U.S. Army decided to buy the field themselves. Well, not actually buy it. They just took the field for a missile test range. Yeah, right. They'd heard about the rumors, too. So you can go into all sorts of conspiracy theories about how the American, the, the, uh, American Army has stolen all this guy's gold. But he never got to see, you know, he never got to enjoy his gold. But he did buy a field. Um, there's another example here, um, which we haven't got any sound for. Um, but you might have heard of the, a thing called the money pit. It's uh, in... Um, Somewhere in America. <laughs> uh, Nova Scotia, sorry, that's Canada. It's on, on an island in Nova Scotia. Um, and some guys about 200 years ago discovered a hole in the ground with loads of beans and slabs of rock. And they realized it was artificial. And they thought there must be some treasure under there. And they dug down, down, down. I mean, they're down to about 30, 40, 50 meters now. And they still haven't found anything. And it's a booby-trapped hole. And so lots of other people say, oh, this trap's just a diversion. The gold, rest of the gold is somewhere else on the island. And so people have been buying up parts of this island for the last 40 years, trying to find this gold. And, and, it's, and it's called the money pit, because um, like one, of the, one of the guys uh, was saying that, uh, although he's never made any money out of it, the guy who dug all his holes made $57,000 out of it in the 60s. So somebody found some treasure. So... Um, this whole idea of finding treasure is, you know, it's exciting, isn't it? Um, I'm an archaeologist. Um, Indiana Jones is, you know, one of my heroes. Um, finding treasure all the time and destroying things without doing any recording of the data, which is terrible. Oh, it stopped altogether. Um, so, that's great, cool. Well, yeah, well, it might be the video bit that's... Killing it. Can you put me on to the next slide? Okay. There might be the video thingy. Great. Ooh. Okay, well, that probably won't work. But the, what is the difference between a chicken and a pig? What's the difference between a chicken and a pig? Exactly, that was my point. The chicken makes a contribution. The pig is fully committed. Um, and so the question is, are you a chicken or a pig? Um, there's a big difference between interest and commitment. Um, somebody wants to, oh, well, there we go. Fantastic, there you go. So yeah, chicken, contribution, pig, commitment. So the, the cost is great for the pig. I'm not sure about the reward. <laughs> the reward for us is great. Poor little piggy. So but there's a big difference between commitment and interest, isn't there? When you're interested in, in, in something, you might do it when it's convenient to you. Yeah? Uh, but when you're committed to something, you, you, just, you don't give up. Lorna and, and Chris have been running the scouts. You are committed to that. There have been times when you're sure you wanted to give up. Yeah? Um, but going to get to be the millionth, pris millionth prisoner, <laughs> the millionth, millionth customer, you had no idea that was going to happen. You were just interested in the shop and you, were, you went in. So um, most of us have got this kind of approach to dedication. I don't know if you uh, know if we're friends. Uh, uh, Chandler said, oh, yeah, I'm a gym member. I try to go four times a week, but I've missed the last 1,200 times. Yeah. Lots of us are like that, though, aren't they? I really intended to read my Bible this week. I really intended to spend some time with the Lord, but I just haven't. I really am. I really do. I really will. 
My dad had this really encouraging phrase, which was, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh, thanks, Dad. You know, <clears throat> well, Dad's really encouraging things, he used to say. But, um, <clears throat> but you only commit yourself to something when there's something worth, worth committing to. And so what is the prize? Right? The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he buried it, and then with joy sold all that he had. Now, I like some of us trying to downsize from time to time, don't we? And we try and get rid of all our clutter. And that's joyful, isn't it, sometimes, seeing the empty cupboard in the, in, in, in the house. Do you remember Life's Laundry? Do you remember that program years ago? But you know what? He wasn't just selling off the odd thing. According to Jesus, he sold everything, everything he owned, with joy. I'm sure you've saved for things and wanted to save for things. But if, you, if you really, really want something, you have to make choices. So what is this great prize? The prize is the kingdom of God. The kingdom was promised by the prophets that it would come. We see it revealed in Jesus, and believe it or not, it's supposed to be present in the church, this wonderful kingdom of God. Um, <clears throat> uh, where am I? Do you know, the kingdom of God is mentioned 115 times in the Gospels alone. And it's mentioned throughout the epistles as well. The kingdom is probably the major theme in the Bible. We often think it's salvation. But salvation is a means to an end without wishing to denigrate what happened on the cross. But it was not. Jesus didn't come to earth to die. He came to be resurrected and inaugurate a kingdom. And in order to be resurrected, he had to die. And that process of dying and bringing us new life, of purifying us, of cleaning us, being the final eventual sacrifice, was all about bringing in a new kingdom, a new way. Um, <clears throat> Jesus said this, The coming kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, actually, that's from Romans 4.17. Um, so that's really Paul, what Paul was saying. But this, this think kingdom theme is so important for us as Christians. It's something we often o- overlook. And if you wanted to read about it, I can really recommend a guy called Tom Wright, or N.T. Wright, who writes extensively on, on the subject. Um, what does the kingdom... Right? So when we think about promising the prophets, Ezekiel chapter 47, at the river flowing out from underneath the temple, do you know that? Remember that picture? And it says it moves further from it, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But the point of the river wasn't that it was isn't it awesome, but when it got to the Dead Sea, it made the Dead Sea alive again. And it talks about the trees of the leaves, the leaves of the trees healing the people. Which then in Revelation 22 is repeated. John has the same vision of the river of God flowing from the mountain. And either side are these wonderful trees. And he says there'd be no more sorrow, no more pain. No more anguish, no more mourning. And the kingdom of God, when it comes, brings freshness. It brings righteousness. It brings goodness. And that was what was promised in the prophets. And throughout the Old Testament, they were looking for this Messiah. Now, the word Messiah means anointed one. That's the word you use for a king. The king was coming. The new king is coming. Jesus, the new king. And he revealed what the kingdom of God looked like. He said... Um, 
when he was sending out the 12 uh, ahead of him, he said, as you go, proclaim this message. And we're talking about Peter, John, and James, and those kind of guys. This is what they've got to do. The kingdom of heaven has come near. How do I know that? Well, heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, because freely you have received, freely you give. And when he sent out the 72, he said, when you enter a town and are welcome, and are welcome eat what's offered to you, heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. So when it's presented by Jesus as this is what the kingdom looks like, the sick are healed and the demons are cast out and the prisoners are set free. The lepers are healed. The lame walk. The mute speak. If you go through Matthew, nearly all of these sample um, uh, miracles that Jesus do, they're all, nearly all signs of the coming of the Messiah. Matthew picked out all the particular um, messianic uh, types of, of um, miracles. Um, Paul said a bit later in, in Corinthians, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Um, and I just, uh, Revelation 21, uh, John speaking uh, from in his revelation, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So those of us who are old enough, remember the word regime change. And uh, President Bush promised us regime change. And what we ended up with was something a lot worse. Yes, the regime ended, but we've ended up with a bigger mess. But when Jesus talks about regime change, the old order ending and the new order coming, he's talking about peace and freedom. He's talking about liberation. Um, and he's looking for it to be in the church. What is this treasure? What is this pearl? What does it look like? Well, it could be summed up in the word grace. So I heard of, I was driving through the desert, I lived in the desert once, and I was driving through the desert about 20 years ago, and I heard this amazing preach. I wish I could tell you the name of the guy. I've forgotten the name of the guy. But he, he summed up grace with this sentence, and I've never forgotten it. It's that good. The empowering presence of God to, be, to enable you, sorry, I missed out the word, to enable you to be all that he called you to be and to do all that he called you to do. The empowering presence of God, enabling you to be all that he called you to be and to do all that he called you to do. Or as Paul says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Where we are, we should see the kingdom, the results, the effects of the kingdom of God. Um, we've got a really exciting opportunity developing uh, with um, Ed's Connect. And I, this preach isn't about advertising Connect, but I don't care. I'm shamelessly go along and find out about Connect. It's a way of intentionally seeing how we can bring an intentional kingdom, see the results of the kingdom of God. Jesus said himself, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There is a cost. 
and there's a reward. Peter said, we've left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. As you know, all the, all the disciples ended up being martyred, except for John. Um, there's a really interesting story about how John left this earth, which I haven't got time for now. But those guys sacrificed their all, every one of them, except for Judas. And um, Jesus gave them that special, special promise that you're going to be the head of the, the tribes of Israel. So the reward, the cost is great, but the reward was wonderful. And God himself says to Abraham, he said, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. Abraham, I am your shield, your very, very great reward. Jesus said this, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, um, who were before you, they're going to persecute you. And one, one, one uh, passage was particularly uh, helpful to me and Megs when we were first um, stepping out and going off to Istanbul. He said, Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. There is a cost. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Yes, there is a cost. I never said it was going to be easy, but it will be worth it. Um, the kingdom of God is supernatural. You can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't touch it. As the wind moves, so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. Unpredictable. You don't know what we're going to do next. You couldn't predict what Jesus was going to do next. And yet it's physical. People get healed. Lives are changed. Um, people get protected in emergencies and accidents and fires. Um, strange things happen. You meet people at strange points in your life. Unusual God instances happen. It's physical. And it's also social and political. Because when the kingdom of God comes, society gets changed. If you go out to Brazil, you'll see how society was, you know, certain parts of Brazil were highly changed. But even here in our, our own, own communities, uh, the great revival happened, happened in the 1700s. It brought about the Quakers and the Shakers. brought about huge social change. Factories that were no longer just bear pits, but factory owners who had conscience and began to give their workers holidays and build them homes and build them model villages and to bring about an end to the dark satanic mills. Uh, the kingdom of God has social implications. It also has political implications. For lots of us are wondering how on earth could Trump possibly be about to become president? How do you, why is that? Well, my American friends would explain it like this. Abortion is killing people and Trump doesn't want to kill people. He's against abortion. Hillary Clinton supports the Democratic Party, and they are okay with abortion. 
And American Christians are much more vexed about the question of abortion than perhaps we are. As British Christians, we're probably more interested in the economic, social, political type of things. It's fascinating how we've got different perspectives. But Bush is ba- um, not Bush, Trump is basically is sort of on the anti-abortion ticket. So for the Christians who are Republican and want to want to vote for a godly thing, they're, th- they're looking at that, at that aspect. And, and they would consider Hillary Clinton evil. And I've heard, you know, they're quite strong with their language sometimes. So, you know, it does change your social and political viewpoints. The thing is, though, a lot of us here have lived quite a long time, a um, couple of decades or so, and we know, looking back, the truth of this sort of Facebook wisdom. Yeah? Become obsessed about the things you want. Otherwise, you're going to spend a lifetime being obsessed with making up, making up excuses as to why you didn't get the life you wanted. And I'm sure all of us know we've got things we regret, things we wish we'd done. I know I have. Um, you know, and you kind of pass that wisdom on to your children, don't you? You said, well, when I was a kid, I could have done this, but I didn't. I let this, this thing, thing stop me, and da 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 da. What happens if you get to the end of your life and you look back and you never really saw the kingdom of God advance in your lifetime? You were never really part of that movement. You didn't see the sick get healed. You didn't see the you know, people get changed. You didn't see demons cast out. You didn't see this kind of stuff. And you look back and go, oh, if only. There might be lots of reasons for that. Um, uh, I'll skip past that one. It's a bit condemning. You might be afraid of looking a bit silly. All right. Now, as, as um, uh, Roger, Rod, Rod, yeah, Rod was had the opportunity to look silly. Can I pray for your leg? But he took the opportunity. Actually, I think this woman looks awesome. Don't you think? Because I'm not prepared to jump into a river like that. She's got more guts than me. Yeah, and I think she's amazing. It's all about perspective. Some of us are afraid of feeling out of our depth. Worried about what it's going to be like in the deep. Ed can tell you later what it's like to be in the deep. Um, uh, do you feel the whole idea of, of kind of somehow being more than just somebody who privately holds my faith privately, somebody who goes to church and does my Bible readings, that kind of stuff, but doesn't really step out, you know, doesn't really put myself out there, put both feet in? Is it because you're afraid of being out of your depth? I wouldn't know what to say. What would I do? What would I say? Well, Jesus has given us a promise. Um, where is it? He goes, <clears throat> I'll find it back here. Uh, he says this, Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Oh, great, thanks. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Oh, that's one promise. And it's repeated in several depths. Yeah, you probably will be out of your depth. Woohoo! You'll learn to swim. Um, or are you afraid that something bad is going to happen? You might not be able to put your finger on what that bad thing is. Um, <laughs> I got put in a a very awkward situation once at Soul Survivor. I was, I was on the prayer team for Soul Survivor. Um, and uh, Mike Pilavati said, okay, we've been praying and we believe God wants to heal people today. 
So go and find someone in the prayer team, and they will heal you. It's like, uh, <laughs> great, thank you. <laughs> so this guy comes up to me, and there's like nothing physically wrong with him. Brilliant, I thought. Perhaps he's just got a headache, and I can massage it away while I'm praying for him. Uh, no, he says, because he was like this, I've broken my glasses. Uh-huh. I've got to drive back to London tonight, and I can't see a thing. I need you to heal my eyes. <laughs> right. Thanks, Mike. You know, so I start praying for this guy, and I have no faith whatsoever. I'm just sort of, in a sense, just saying the words. Father, just pray for healing, more Lord, more that kind of stuff. And, and uh, after a couple of minutes, I kind of do the thing that you're supposed to say, which is, oh, how's it going? <laughs> and he says, yeah, keep praying. It's getting better. I can see 10 yards further than I could before. Don't stop praying. He's like, oh, right, okay. So I started, keep praying. By the end, after about five, ten minutes, he, he claimed that he could see perfectly, and he'd been healed. I was out of my depth. I didn't know what. I, I thought anything, something bad was going to happen. He's going to turn around and tell me, you know, like, would you think you are? You're not a proper Christian. You couldn't heal me with my eyesight. Nothing bad happened. Something good happened. I sat in the car the other day. A young man was uh, telling me how, how bad he had a bad heart and stuff. Uh, and I sat there, and I was screwed up. I was going, oh, I know I want to pray. He say I want to pray for him. And I said to him, would you mind if I pray for you? And he laughed. I've never been laughed at before. It's quite funny. <laughs> and I think it was because I said it in a timid way. Instead of saying, I'd like to pray for you right now, I meant, what I meant was, I'd like to go away and pray for you. And that sounds a bit timid. It's not more like Rod. I mean, Rod's a monster. You know, pray. Yeah, fantastic. Go out there and pray hands, lay hands. But... <clears throat> Remember, the, the cost is great, but the rewards are greater still. And that's my final thing, really. When we sort of reflect on our walk with the Lord, and we reflect on what is the outward work, what, what is the fruit? I've spent a long time at the river, Lord. I've spent a long time drinking. I've spent a long time knowing your word. I've spent a long time worshipping you. I've spent a long time understanding the scriptures. Um, but we want to have that, that enthusiasm of the new convert who, go, who goes up to the preacher and says, when do I get to do the stuff? And the preacher said, well, what stuff? He said, you know, the stuff in the Bible. You know, I've been coming here for six to eight weeks, you know, and all we've done is sing songs and preach and, and hear loads of stuff. But when do we get to do the stuff? When do we get to lay hands on people? And, and, and the preacher said, oh, we don't do that here. The, man, the young man who was asking that question was John, John, a guy called John Wimber, who was the, um, the guy who launched, uh, was the kind of founder of the Vineyard stream of churches. And then some of the older viewers of you here will remember John Wimber with great fondness. Where's that hunger? for doing something new, doing something different, being out of my depth, risking it all, feet first, plunging in. Um, I'm not saying that um, in any way that I'm any more better qualified or more advanced than you are, because I'm not. This is a preach in which is very, very convicting for myself as well. Again, um, the idea of walking up to somebody in the street and saying, I see you're limping. You know, or, or something, you know, or, or, or to even worse, somebody who's your next door neighbor who's having a rough time, and you're saying, I'd really like to pray for you, would that be okay? What could possibly go wrong? 
really. No one's going to die. All that could, all that could really be it happen is a bit of your pride get cut off. And that's got to be a good thing. And my pride. So, we're going to spend a bit of time, Sam, if you could, uh, get ready to um, worship. We're going to spend a bit of time worshipping. And um, we're just going to let the Lord work amongst us. And perhaps you'd like to stand and... Um, <clears throat> Ask yourself, you know, am I a chicken or a pig? <clears throat> yeah? Have I got an in- am I just an interested party? Or am I f- plunging in with both feet, ready to go for it? If you're from our church and you wanted a response, you can go come along to Connect Meetings. Uh, and find out more about how to see that happen. If you're, not, if you're a visitor here, then I'm sure there's ways in which you can go back to your home churches or your own areas and find out, how can I find ways in which I can step out in faith? Lord God, Daddy, we just want to thank you that you love us so much. That you would want us to partake, to take part in this amazing adventure, this wonderful journey. Thank you, Lord, that you trust us with people's salvation and their lives. Lord God, that you're waiting for us to be that hand, to be that feet, to put flesh on the face of God. To be the walking Bible. God, I sometimes wonder if you're just a bit crazy expecting us to represent you but God you've got a greater wisdom than mine so Holy Spirit we just invite you to come and fill us Lord fill us that we might go out and touch this world fill us that we might be part of the advancing kingdom of our Father that we might be your foot soldiers, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Convict us. Enable us. Empower us. Do what you do, Lord. Do what you do. This is your time. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. surrender and so I-
Sharing in your 